Here's Johnny. I'll be back. And you will know my name is the Lord. I'm walking here. I'm walking here. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Box Office Bolt, your one-stop podcast for movies, Madness Moxie, and tonight, Malignant Clowns. That's right, only eh, two weeks after release, the Bob crew has gotten together for a nice, friendly discussion about It, Chapter 2, Killer Clown Boogaloo. I'm your host, Cody. Joining me today, all the way from the eternal darkness of Tadash Space, is my co-host, Mike. Say hi, Mike. Beep, beep. Beep, beep. There, we've matched the total of beep, beeps from the It series. I'm mad about it, honestly. I was mad it was about a- it with the first one, <laughs> and I'm mad about it now. We got... What, was two. there two we instances? Two. Yeah. We got one Which in is- the first one, and we got one here. And then they say it like it's still a big deal. It's like, no, it's only a big deal because of the book and the miniseries. You haven't said it enough. That's true. They didn't bake it into the show enough where people understand the beep-beep thing. Real missed opportunity. We did get Jessica Chastain saying beep, beep, Richie, though, which I think is kind of worth it. That is nice. I imagine, like, when they do a super-duper cut of it, that'll be, like, one of the nine extra hours they film will be just people saying beep, beep, Richie. I hope so. I would not be surprised. <laughs> I want that and turtles. You gotta, you gotta give me my beep and turtles. More turtles. I'm still very sad we, we, there was a turtle deleted scene. <laughs> All right, More so turtles. that's jumping into the thick of things. I want to I circle back here i think both of us have the same complaints about this movie but we, yeah, we've kind much. of trended i think in different directions in regard to our overall feelings of the film like if someone asked me what i think about it chapter two i would say i enjoyed it and then i'd probably complain for like a half hour if they let me and after a week of sitting on it though like i realized that's a lot of complaining it's kind of soured me on it it's definitely still a movie i'm gonna own it's one i'm gonna watch you know if i watch it chapter one i'm not gonna pretend it chapter two doesn't exist but it's it's not grown on me as I've sat down to think about it over like the last 10, 11 days or whatever it's been. Whereas I feel like you, when you talk about it, seem like it's settled a little more for you and you're more appreciative of it. A little bit. It's settled a little bit, I would say. Um, I, I'm st- I am still kind of in your camp, though, where I was hoping it would grow on me a little bit more. I, I think I do need to see it again because it's it's so long that it's hard. <laughs> I think it's difficult to just kind of let it percolate in your head, just due to its sheer length and the amount of I don't even amount of shit I, going on. But um, I agree, the length is a problem. But I think the structure accents how bad the length is. Yes, because you go to something like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, also a very long movie, but that one flies by. I mean, those two movies probably have very, very, very similar run times. But I, if someone asked me to guess the number of minutes in both movies, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to tell them similar answers for both well it's a it's a weird thing i i've found thinking about it um which is because i felt like it dragged a little bit and it does have structural issues we'll get into but it's like it drags but the way to fix it this sounds crazy but if it were longer i'm not i like i understand what you're saying if they ever do the super (laughs) cut of it and they work in more of the flashback structure and vary up how the movie is built I honestly do think it would go faster. Like, they could put an extra 40 minutes into this movie, and it would seem somehow like they shaved 40 off. Yeah, it's the it's the structure of it that gives it that drag throughout the middle. I mean, I, I super like the opening. I super like the ending. But just that middle part, there's nothing really necessarily wrong with what's going on. It's just structured poorly for me. Oh. I don't want to come across like we're going to shit over the shit on the movie or anything. Because oh, I, I actually do, uh, I do totally like, I, like, I'm going to enjoy it every time I watch it. I do think I need to see it again, and I'm hoping my enjoyment of it will go up upon a rewatch. But I, and I, and more than anything, I'm impressed they stuck the landing of a It Part 2. Because they're not <laughs> exactly starting from, you know, the best baseline. So no. the, the fact they fixed what they're able to fix to me is still kind of a miracle, but... Well, it's been said before, but <laughs> when you look at the two timelines in it, the kids' timeline has always been the more interesting half of the book. Yeah. Like, the kids just... They, they have more stuff to do, it feels like. They're more relatable. They're more interesting. 
and the adults kind of get shafted. They just have to return and clean things up. And it feels like a retread of what the kids were going through the first time. So it's unfortunate. Each chapter two is kind of like, oh, fuck. Ah. Because they split up. They did all the kids stuff first. They really have to <laughs> be smart and creative with how they do the second film to keep us engaged. And yeah. they more and or less some stick the landing. They, they stumble a little bit. Yeah. They, they stumble. In some respects, they, they did a pretty good job of, of altering things and changing things up. And it's definitely the best version of the adult stuff from it. For sure. I, I definitely like uh, this version of it more than the old 90s miniseries version of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. So uh, well, I've got a lot of issues I want to talk through here, but maybe let's start with some positive stuff. Let's, let's go down that route first and then end the episode on a downer. We'll just go downhill the entirety of the episode. That's what people like, right? Good, good, good. It's like the opposite of the movie, really. Yes. Uh, so I would say for positive stuff, I like the finality of the ending. We get to the end of It Chapter 2, and there's not like a big question mark. There's not like a tease for It Chapter 3 or Pennywise laughing in a sewer. There's no like red balloon that pops up out of nowhere to hint that there's a third coming. We very well could get a third or a prequel or something, but the movie itself just seems to say, hey, this is it. It's done. It's a complete story. And I like that. For what's a mega franchise for them to just say, no, 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 don't worry. We're, we're not milking this. This is over. Feels very good. Yeah, I like the sense of finality to it. I, really, the the last few scenes, after some stuff maybe soured me earlier, uh, stuff we already mentioned, I really left the theater pretty happy due to the ending. Like it, it really wraps up everything. It closes the book very nicely. You like where the characters end up, the ones who are still alive. I think the um, the the alteration of Stan was a really nice touch to throw in there at the end. Uh, I don't know. That one didn't sit great with me. Why not? Well, I mean, one, the movie is already so long. For them to all, all of a sudden have a flashback scene where like, hey, surprise, Stan has a secret heroic moment after all. It felt just like a, a kind of a weird way to drag things out a little more. It's like a Return of the King ending where it's like, okay, we've wrapped up things like eight times. Why, why are they still stuffing stuff in here? I don't know, it was like 30 seconds of dialogue over top of a already existing montage of what the characters are doing. Didn't really add anything. Well, they time. do have to interrupt it with a, a phone call to be like, did you get the uh, letter? Go ahead and read it. And on top of that, too, it was just continuity-wise, it's confusing to me because Stan gets the phone call. He's like, hey, you got to come back to Derry. We cut to him having committed suicide. We don't really know how much time passed, but it's implied that during this time, he went up, wrote the note, somehow found all of the losers' addresses, and then mailed these letters and then killed himself. Whereas everyone else, like the same day they got the call, like within hours, they all drove into Derry. It's, it's a little sketchy thing. It's not that big a deal, but it just feels weird to me. Like, this seems like it should have been a deleted scene that they're like, fuck it, just slap it on there. Why not? Mm, can't say I agree. Well, this podcast I, I, is over. Goodbye. I like the alteration of Stan. Stan's suicide not just being a, a coward's way out, as it was in the book and the miniseries and all that. Actually having a point that's created the ability for them to actually defeat Pennywise by him making some kind of personal sacrifice. It's both dark, but in a uh, Stephen King sort of way, particularly a very it sort of way, I think, which kind of has its own tone. I think uh, it would have resonated me for, for me a little more if maybe that information was introduced into the core plot earlier. Like having it be a coda just doesn't seem right. I'll have to agree to disagree on that one. Just a nice note to go out on. Moving back into things I did actually like, uh, Bill Hader and uh, James Ransom, both absolutely phenomenal in their roles uh, as the older Richie and older Eddie. They managed to steal basically every scene they're in, making characters that could easily just kind of be side guys feel like, oh, this is their movie and everyone else is just kind of hanging around the scenes. Ransom in particular has been very overlooked, I've found, mainly because Hader's so good. Yeah. Um, well, Hader gets the like big the emotional scene. Career. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hader gets the big emotional scene at the end when they're all in the lake. And I think that makes you forget about Ransom quite a bit. Like, he, yeah. essentially, he gets the last laugh, or in this case, the last tear. So Hader leaves a, a bigger impression in my mind. But both of them are just absolutely knocking it out of the park. Oh, Ransom's ability to replicate that performance pitch perfectly is scary. <laughs> I'll always remember him as Deputy So-and-So. But hey, this is, this is a pretty good follow-up. Uh, the Paul Bunyan scare is one I didn't think was ever going to work off the page. 
So that was impressive to me. I think that actually worked pretty good, even though it was just a big old CGI statue. The design of it was pretty spooky. So yeah, I, I wasn't expecting that. them to go for it. <laughs> I think <laughs> that might be why it's so effective, Brandon. is it's so surprising. <laughs> <laughs> well, like he's in the middle of daylight, there's people around, all of a sudden the Paul Bunyan statue, Bunyan statue is trying to murder him. Like, oh, okay, we're going that route. Neat. And there's no scare like it anywhere else in these two movies, so I think that's what really like really makes it work. Mm-hmm. Is it so different? It's not kind of the same thing you've seen so far. Well, it's one of those where it's like, ah, oh, boy. If if someone told you, okay, they're going to take a statue of Paul Bunyan and have him chase a guy around a park in the middle of the day, you go, eh, maybe Stephen King can work that situation out. But I have no idea how a movie version is going to make that even seem somewhat serious. It's very hedge maze from Shining. <laughs> well, my hats are off to him. They managed to pull off something I just assumed was going to be written off. Pennywise also gets to say Street Fighter in that scene, and that's that's exciting. <laughs> that's what we're all here for. Pennywise knows what Street Fighter is. I'm very tickled by that. He's got to know about some of these things. Hey, he knows he's about a- clowns, so he's keeping up. I was going to say, Pennywise needs to have some amount of knowledge of pop culture. Uh, but I, I guess going to Pennywise here, when Skarsgård is allowed to do his Pennywise shtick, it's really great. Uh, the scene where he lures in the little girl with a birthmark and then kills her underneath the bleachers, that worked phenomenally well for me. Like, that's just an extra spooky, tense scene. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's kind of a bummer we don't get more stuff like that. I mean, this one's already kind of <laughs> egregious because it doesn't really connect nicely to what the losers are going through. It's just, it's, you know, it's just showing what's going on in dairy, essentially. Yeah. And just, yeah. it's kind of an excuse for just to have Pennywise, which is fine, you know. Right. I mean, I'd be mad if we saw it chapter two and there was like two minutes of Pennywise. So if they got to put those kind of things into bulk as a presence up, go ahead. Which, I mean, if they were being book accurate, no Pennywise, just nothing. <laughs> None at all. And he's very chatty in this movie, too, um, which I liked. I, I would have liked more Pennywise if they were able to work him in there. But you yeah. know, he, honestly, he's in there pretty much about the same amount he was in the first one. Right. And well, they found ways to get him in there, like the uh, carnival scene. Which, yeah, actually, the carnival scene, I like quite a bit, too. Although it does have that head-scratcher where the kid dies in front of Bill, and you're like, was that a real kid, or was Pennywise just fucking with them? The tongue is the only part that got me. <laughs> the big old licky tongue? I like Pennywise smacking his big old head against the uh, that glass. That was pretty good. Like, there's a, uh, like a, just a subtle hint that he's kind of flattening himself out, almost. Like, he's just like a fucking whack of Play-Doh against the wall. They really upped Pennywise just doing weird shit. <laughs> Which I, which I really liked. It's like, yeah, Pennywise shouldn't really, like, obey any kind of laws, so he just does weird garbage. <laughs> and I, I like uh, Skarsgård's tendency, too. Like, when he's playing him as very hungry, like, he just gets distracted, his eyes kind of go extra cross, and you can see him, like, stop and drool for a second. I love that Pennywise can just, like, lose his train of thought because he's so goddamn hungry. Yeah, I like that. I like that through both movies. It's something I don't see pointed out about Skarsgård's performance. Just the that off kilter thing he does, where he just kind of gets distracted, like he's an animal. <laughs> oh, right, the murder. Back, back to it. And the and I and when it comes to chapter two, that I did enjoy how they they spread that to other people who are you know Pennywise in disguise. It's the weird like distraction thing that happens. Now they've seen his performance, so they, they kind of wrote into other characters. Yeah. Going off the idea, though, of uh, the individual encounters with Pennywise, how did those work for you? Because individually, I think, okay, yeah, this is pretty spooky. Like when Bev goes to visit her old apartment and Pennywise is doing a stick in the background, like kind of dancing around and <laughs> like peeking around corners for the audience's <laughs> benefit. Like, that's fun. But then you realize Pennywise is really just fucking around with these people and isn't <laughs> like trying his best to actually hurt them, which in the moment, kind of takes some of the scare away. I think some of the encounters were stronger than others. You know, it's weird that Bev's goes on so long and then others are about, you know, feels like 10 seconds. Yeah. And he gets like a repeat of the leper thing, which is is kind of weird. Like, I I guess his fears (laughs) have remained the same. And that was a pretty good scare in the first one. Why not do it again? Yeah, they went in a different direction with with Eddie's stuff. and And it works. It's just there's not a lot of strength to that where... You know, Bill's and Bev's memory and and um, and Richie's memory, you know, are very like specific, and important to them. And Eddie's doesn't really have that necessarily. And then just has I I don't want to bring up things I don't like, but 
I'll just say this too. Too now. late. We're I moving to things will, we don't like. Bring it I out. will Spit never, it ever, ever understand Angel in the Morning. <laughs> that was a really good, like, effective scene where you get to see Stan actually stand up to the leper. And for some reason, it's ruined with a fucking comedy moment. I don't get that. And it just that doesn't make any sense. Why Angel in the Morning? Why any of that? One of the complaints I had about the original It was... The jump scares never really got to me. They never really made me jump. So it feels weird in the second one. They're like, fuck it. We can't. If we can't make you jump, we're going to make you laugh. Which, <laughs> I mean, I did laugh. And I felt the scares were actually a little stronger this time around. Maybe it's because they threw me off guard with the laugh. So I didn't know exactly what to expect. If it was going to be an undercut or if it was going to be the actual scary punch. But it was. it's a weird mix. It really is. But I guess, thinking about it, they knew It Chapter 2 was going to be a success. There was no way the movie was not going to make money. After the following the first one generated and the interest people have in Pennywise as a villain, they knew they could have filmed anything at this point. So I can understand them going, hey, let's get a little weird. It can't hurt us much. And in a lot of respects, it works. Uh, you know, the comedy is overdone. We'll get into that more later, probably. But them going kind of weird and off the wall with stuff because they've, you know, they kind of have the license to really works to the film's benefit, I think. I, I heard it described and I totally agree. That it's uh, it's an adventure horror movie, like way more than the first one. Like this is an adventure horror film. It's going more for that than replicating the tone of, of part one, which I actually think is a pretty good way to go for the adult segment of it. Since, I mean, there's some deeper stuff in there that I feel like is either going to be is either on the cutting room floor or was for some reason left out from the book. It's more of a, a sojourn mm. for the characters. Uh, and some of it's still in there. There's some really deep stuff, um, but not touched on, I think, as strongly as it should have. So in that regard, maybe it, it leaned a little bit too far into adventure. But it's still pretty fucking cool that It Chapter 2 is kind of an adventure movie. Well, I suppose, I mean, with the kids, the idea is It goes after children because their fears are very pure and direct and easy to exploit. There's kids afraid of clowns. Throw a clown at them. Whereas now we have adult characters and sure, they might be afraid of like spiders, but they're probably also afraid of not making their mortgage payment or their wife leaving them or really hard concepts for an evil murder clown from the multiverse to express. So it yeah. makes sense they maybe get away from direct scares and try and do something, uh, like you said, a little bit more maybe adventure style. Yeah, they didn't really, I mean, maybe it's going to be in a longer cut. They didn't really lean into... Pennywise's inability to actually harm the adults. Yeah, that was like he, weird. he can prey on them. He can prey on their psyche, but he can't really harm them directly, which is the whole point of Bowers. Right. Well, they, I don't know. I feel like the Bowers uh, plotline was not really melded into the rest of the story very well. Not at all. I, and I don't know if there's going to be a longer thing with Bowers. It, it felt like. With Bowers, they were setting up almost an American Werewolf in London thing, since Pennywise is kind of like his spirit guide, generally, mm -hmm. for the adult stuff. And we don't get any of that in the film, making Bowers' entire role pointless, especially when you alter uh, what he does to um, uh, Mike. Uh, to Mike? Yeah. Yeah. So he doesn't really do any real damage, which it's is good. <laughs> I, I'm glad he didn't take out Mike, thank God. But... Because yeah, it you... resolves one problem from the story that's like, hey, let's take our one black character and just make him like an even smaller presence in the story. Yes. <laughs> we'll just sideline him so he doesn't matter. Uh, but on the other hand, it's like, well, why did you even waste the time with Bowers in the first place? Because he could honestly be removed from the film. And the only thing you'd have to explain is like a superficial wound on Eddie's face. Yeah. I mean, as it stands now, Bowers should not have been in the movie. You could have just said that he died. And and if you filmed more stuff with Bowers <laughs> that makes that, you know, him talking to zombie Hawksetter or whatever, and Pennywise is talking to him throughout the entire movie, and you get more of that, Pennywise is using him because he's trying to stop the losers. Yeah. Then, okay, save that for the longer cut. Save that for the miniseries cut. Because as it stands now in the theatrical, it just drags the movie down. It does. It just creates um, a couple pointless scenes. Yeah. And, and along those... Edges, ah, man, I was really disappointed that Bev's abusive husband really gets just the opening scene 
and then just like the miniseries, same mistake as the miniseries. Yeah, it's like okay, you're introducing the idea that Pennywise needs people to help him on his quest to stop the losers. This is a really great moment. Like Bev can directly confront abuse, which is really a main plot of of the the series. Like people have abuse, yeah. and then they have to deal with the fallout of ignoring it for the rest of their lives, and return to the root of the problem. It's right there. Her abuser like could have gone to the sewers with her, and she would have had a moment to stand out and really prove herself. I feel like they really shortchanged some of the characters in this film. Like Bev doesn't get a lot of times to shine in in this film, and it, having her stop her her abusive husband in the sewer would have been just a really big moment. Yeah, it it like I said, it has the same problem the miniseries where Bev's arc is done in her introductory scene. <laughs> That's it. She left home. She got away from abuse. There's uh, there's a lot of stuff about. Like those themes you talked about, do they get lost and muddled throughout the movie? And I, and I, I don't know if it's just due to editing or, or or what the hell's going on, but it just seems like such a missed opportunity where it doesn't follow through completely with that stuff. It it mostly does with Bill and uh, the addition to to uh, Richie's character. I think creates a, a good bookend between the yeah. the opening and the end. Um, Very much. It's so. one of my favorite favorite changes. But then there is stuff like. Bev's, which has a touch of of these themes and and going home and dealing with stuff and with her Bev flashback. And Bill. Honestly, Bev and yeah. Bill both feel like okay. So their main thing is uh, uh, Bill has to admit like, "Hey, I love you," and uh, Bev's thing is she has to hear that. That's it. Like, it, it's like man, that's really simple. That's like, oh, you mean Bev? Uh, oh shit! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, Too yeah, many ben... bees. Ben's role we've got really Bill felt haters, short. We've got Ben's. We've got it's, there's so Bills. many goddamn names. Uh, yeah, Ben's role really felt <laughs> shortchanged in, in that regard. Granted, he was I'm built sorry, up yeah. a lot in the first film, so I guess it's it's just you know well, that's muddled too. Control, uh, it's so but... frustrating because in in the first film they essentially take Mike's role and they switch around like okay, well he could be the historian, and then when they get to the second one they do a soft reboot and like oh no 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 he was always into architecture. And and Mike was the one who's into history now. It's like, goddamn it, guys! Why didn't you? Why didn't you get that right the first time? <laughs> so some of the character motivations are just like a, a little floppy, and it's oh, it's weird. It's frustrating, especially I don't know what, when you read the book. How would you say the character breakdowns worked? Because for me, it seemed like Bill was pretty much you know he's the POV character in my mind. He's the main dude, but there's a lot, a lot, a lot of focus on Ben in especially the adult section. So it feels kind of like, Hey, this is his time to shine. Whereas in the movie, I don't quite get that bill doesn't get a lot of chances to lead the losers since they're all on solo quests. Yeah. I, I mean, I did enjoy bill going off kind of like half cocked and stuff, which is Pennywise kind of preying on him to try to separate them. Once again, there, there needed to be more. You don't get the sense of what Pennywise's plan is with the losers of trying to defeat them. You, yeah. like you don't get the sense Pennywise is trying to actively defeat them because he knows what they're capable of if they're together, which is the whole point of them losing their memory and the whole point of, of what happens to them in the outside world is actually Pennywise's influence. But and since that's kind of lost... Us further. Yeah, uh, and, and it's just lost. That's It's just unfortunate. Well, at the start of the movie, we have like the, the writing on the bridge, like, come home. Yeah. Which makes it seem like Pennywise's plan is he wants the losers to come back. But then we find out there's a weird little bit where they're like, oh, if we don't stop Pennywise during this cycle, we'll all die before he comes back again. Which is such a weirdly tacked on piece. Like they couldn't just be in town to stop the evil clown because they swore a blood oath to do it. And he's also murdering children. <laughs> there has to be some sort of superfluous counting clock to be like, if you don't kill him by summer, you'll die. Yeah, that was an odd, odd addition. Because then it seems like Pennywise's plan should be like, "Hey, I'm going to let the people with amnesia not know I'm back, and then they can all just die." <laughs> yeah, uh, there was an overcomplication of a, of a few things where, you know, the the simplicity of the story was all you really needed. It's like the first film; you didn't need a whole whole lot. It's just what the characters are going through are kind of simple, and what's the plot is kind of simple, and the themes are kind of straightforward, and just stick with that. So it's I, I it's didn't honestly really stronger that way. Yeah, I didn't understand the the ticking clock aspect that was that was added in there. It was just like, it was mainly just due to the it's just the sheer amount of information that's being thrown at you. Yeah. Well, and in my mind, 
if the losers are there and they look at the situation like, hey, I really don't want to be murdered by a clown in the sewer. Let's just leave. They have to think of reasons to keep them there that aren't just like a wishy-washy, oh, you'll probably die if you leave. Like, I like the idea that gives Bill a chance to be like, okay, I'm going to be the leader here. I'm going to get everyone to stay behind. Or Mike gets to step up and be like, no, 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 I brought you here for a reason. Please listen to me. Please help. Yeah. Like, it, it gives the losers a chance to actually interact and strengthen their own bonds and keep themselves there rather than just relying on a little bit of exposition that doesn't quite fold out. Yeah, so uh, too much time ends up being, I mean, it's always the problem with the adult stuff, uh, the adult stuff and it is too much time is, is taken, is eaten up by the character just want to leave and they keep, and, you know, King keeps needing to find reasons for them not to immediately leave because they all want to leave. And it's like, just, you know, it's a fake (laughs) story. Yeah, well, it's, it's unfortunate because, I mean, in a, a typical kind of monster movie, the characters are isolated, so they can't just leave. You could put in something like Evil Dead where, oh, the only bridge out of town is washed away in a flood. Guess you're stuck in the haunted house. Here, you, they're in the middle of small-town America. It's like, if you want to leave, you can call up an Uber. Uh, there's, there's a plane. If you want to drive for like an hour, you're fine. So <laughs> I understand it's a lot harder scenario to grapple with. Interesting. Yeah. I just realized this, though, too. So, so this movie is set in, what, 2016? Like, just a couple of years in the past. It's not, like, current, current day. Yeah, same year the first one came out. Yeah. But the impressive thing is, I just realized, oh, this is a movie where, like, all the characters have cell phones. And yet that technology wasn't, like, a major factor. And they didn't have to do any, like, super convoluted way of stripping it from the movie. I did like that, yeah. It's amazing what you can get away with if you just don't feel like you need to address it. Because there's really no, like, what's Pennywise going to do? No, don't call the police. (laughs) <laughs> like other than them just calling uh, yeah, each just other that, like, oh, that's about boy. it yeah like they just didn't waste time on explaining the fact that phones are kind of useless here which is really nice normally you have to be like okay here's a two minute scene where the villain collects like every cell phone in town and then smashes it or uh <laughs> they realize evil magic has disrupted the 4g connection magic that was Basically. nice okay i'm oh that's my appreciation list that was that was a nice touch on making a modern horror movie that doesn't feel like they're bending around technology Oh, yeah, there's a lot of very smart choices this movie makes. Just, you know, occasionally some dumb ones, too, that are confusing. Yeah, so when the losers were collecting their tokens, <laughs> this might just be me. Maybe I'm slow on the, uh, the updraw here. But I got very confused because I'm like, wait, some of the characters didn't grab tokens and then had to wait for them to, like, explain what their token was before I realized, like, oh, it was the coin from the arcade. That was the token. Like, in it the was... moment, I didn't... I didn't realize I, what they were grabbing was actually important to them. Like, sometimes it makes sense. <laughs> Bev's like, oh, the postcard that I found under the floorboards. Yes, that's important. That's the token. And then, like, the, the uh, asthma inhaler was like, that was the token? Okay. Some were a little murky. <laughs> I mean, I the guess mythology it of the it has never that, made that much sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, in, in this movie's fiction, Mike basically made up the ritual to try and, like, get everyone into it. So having stuff to sacrifice is more just like a cosmetic deal. They could have honestly grabbed anything. There was no right proper token to throw in there. They just had to believe in it. So I guess that kind of goes with them like randomly having some items that are very personal and some items that are just a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. Well, and that's something that, you know, in the first moment you have the moment where Mike realizes the, um, the gun they used against Pennywise, the air gun, uh, wasn't loaded whenever Bill used it, but it still hurt Pennywise because Bill was under the impression that it was loaded. Mm-hmm. And such a small moment is obviously setting up stuff for, for part two. And that moment clearly is something that's fueling Mike's thought process of a lot of stuff, but he still never really, there's still a lot of dancing around and it feels kind of lost and not really tagged up on. Yeah. They only push it basically during the final confrontation. Yeah. Like um, when they hand Eddie the spear and like, it'll hurt him if you believe it'll kill him. Like, I feel like if they had seeded that a little bit more throughout the story or maybe a little more directly, it would stand out and be, I don't know, a little more emotional at the end when belief turns out to be the big bugaboo yes. that holds the whole thing together. Yes. And and you have Mike there, like that moment in the first film setting up him kind of being the one who pushes that forward. And it's not really there and not really through Mike. So it still feels it feels about on par from the original story where they kind of just stumble upon it in, like, the very end. Now that I think about it, it, wouldn't it have made more sense for Mike to be the one to hand Eddie the spear and be like, it'll work if you believe in it? Yes. I feel like there's so many moments they rob Mike of having, like, his own moment. Yeah. 
like everyone else gets to do something and they're like and also mike's here moving on yeah it still kind of bugs me that mike's kind of i mean he has a much bigger role and he and i really like the stuff they've done with mike a lot I was actually but very nervous when they mentioned in pre-production like oh yeah we're we're gonna make mike into drugs and <laughs> that's how he like connects with pennywise and knows about the cosmic stuff I'm like let's why, why make the one black character like a drug addict that seems like <laughs> a bad plan it turns it's out not they're really just... as bad as yeah no they were really just referencing kind of just the one thing from the book yeah so I, I, they they kind of played that up in a weird way in pre-production but that's what i get for reading you know interviews before the film actually comes out I, uh... i'm more concerned though like maybe i'm wrong because i went to the bathroom during the stretch where everyone went off on their own fetch quests but because mike stayed back in the city he didn't have one right he didn't get like his own little pennywise scare and moment where he found something personal to himself right I, I forget. I honestly forget what he put into the. Did he the put anything? I thought he brought the bucket, and I thought that was his thing. You know, I don't remember. He didn't get I a think... scare, no, which is very strange. I mean, he got that. End up getting that one random flashback at the very end of his parents burning, which felt like it yeah. needed to be a. I don't know, maybe in the first film, and B earlier that in the film nice. as well. Yes, and, but then and that's getting the, the, the problem I have with the first film with lack of Mike in part one. Yeah. Mike got screwed over, I would say, in both movies, which is really disappointing. Yeah. Uh, in the second one, they kind of make him seem like the villain of the group in the second one, when they're like, you lied to us! And he was like, well, guys, I'm trying to kill the giant clown monster. Just, just I did, trying to I didn't to enjoy help. Mike's uh, Pennywise madness. <laughs> His Ahab moment. Which I just, I, I wish they leaned into that more. Oh, yeah. Go full tilt. In the end, though, it's, it's very weird, because you have the giant Pennywise spider thing attacking people, and everyone gets split into groups. Well, not everyone, but most of them get split into groups and they have like their big moments where they confront Pennywise or some sort of fear. Like Bill confronts his past self in the flooded sewer. Uh, Eddie and Richie, they get their scene with the uh, the scary doors. Like It feels like everyone gets a moment. Uh, Bev and, and Ben are both, you know, kind of being suffocated and they find each other. What, what does Mike do during that time? I think he's like cowering beneath a rock or something. Is that when he gets the flashback of like his parents burning? Yeah, that's when he gets the flashback. Yeah, and that's it. But it feels, and unless yeah, you've been so, paying a lot of attention, you may not even remember his backstory. Right. It goes by so fast. and It feels like it, he, his was tacked on. Everyone else got like a substantial moment. And they're like, oh, and also Mike's here. It bothers me throughout both films. Yes, I, I really agree. I feel like they did a huge disservice to Mike. And it sucks because they went to the trouble of this one to be like, oh, no, he's actually in the thick of it this time. He is down in the sewers. Not like the other versions where he gets taken out ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah, I, that, that and they, really and they did fix me. a lot of his role, but it just they didn't push it far enough, and yeah. they still chinsed out on stuff. I don't get it. Right. Well, it's kind of like at the start of the film, they really rushed to get all the losers in Derry, and yet it feels like way too fast. Yeah, they go way too fast to do all that stuff, and, and then they have all this other junk later on, where it's like, oh, maybe you should have slowed down for a minute and introduced some of these other subplots. <laughs> like uh, to jump to the end, this is probably a bad time to bring it up, but whatever, fuck it. We can criticize structure while still having bad structure of our own. Bill, I, I love it in the book when Bill essentially jumps on Old Silver and gets to ride off with his wife and restore her memories. Like, it felt like a pretty good way to end the story. Like, there's that bit of hope at the end, which is otherwise melancholy. And this version, the only time we see Bill's wife is at the start of the movie where it seems like they don't have a great marriage. So it just really threw me off. And they took the time to introduce the bike and make it seem like it's going to be a major part. And then they, they don't have that plot line really factor into things at all. His wife never appears back in Derry. Uh, he doesn't need to use the bike to like rekindle his childhood feelings. I am glad Audra did not play into the rest of the story any. Um, just structure-wise for a movie, I just don't think it needs to be there. I do agree that... I mean, I also felt like the bike didn't play a big enough role in part one either. Oh, uh, not at all. But... Uh, I can almost not mention. That's why it was almost weird that it was such a big deal here, but it, it felt like it was just it needed a to bike be in the first one. Yeah. yeah, I felt like there needed to be something more important here, considering they still put it in like it's a big deal. <laughs> See, in this one, it just ends up being a moment for Stephen King to have his his big cameo. That really feels like the only reason the bike is brought back. And you know, seeing McAvoy, you know, ride a bicycle, a really shitty bicycle. Pretty good. So but, yeah, there, um, there's weird stuff where some of the storylines is like, okay, they they truncate some and then they stretch some out, and it never feels like they quite hit the balance they needed to. 
Yeah, and, and it almost feels like Chapter 2 is a sequel to an extended version of Chapter 1. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think my big issue here, too, is I was hoping, since I knew this was going to be a success, they would go hog wild on the cosmic stuff. Yes. And, in the and end, they do, and they do get, to a degree, but... I, I mean, we get the deadlights. Oh, yeah, I would have loved it. I mean, they don't even really bring up the turtle stuff at all, which I understand that's going to be a hard sell. And I imagine everyone who's read it gets to the part where they start introducing turtles that vomit cosmoses, and they just kind of put the book down for a minute and go, whoa, what did I stumble into? It's a bit much. What what happened? Because it feels like it's from a totally different book. But Cocaine will do that. Yeah, it's an essential piece of Stephen King, and it's very odd to kind of boil this one down to, hey, a meteorite landed and there was an evil essence inside of it. Whatever. Here's some mystical evil lights it's powered by. I, w- I would love it if they kind of broadened it out more and they're like, no, there's also giant forces of good and vomiting turtles and the universe is being formed by weird space creatures. Yeah, uh, I'm glad they went cosmic with it to a degree. You know, they they include the meteor. They, they reference some other stuff. And just the fact the ritual's there at all. But I, I, yeah, I understand maybe not wanting to go full on turtle with it, that there is that deleted scene they reference, but just referencing there's other forces and other forces that are on the loser's side, like Pennywise has a villain, essentially, that's, yeah. that's, that's working for the losers and against Pennywise. There's some other cosmic forces that just things are bigger than everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes Pennywise scarier that he's not just this evil entity, it's this ancient cosmic thing beyond you know understanding we i would have liked to see more that. Of them. yeah we, we yeah. do get half and half we get you know pennywise being there for thousands and thousands of years but in the end he's like i'm the eater of worlds well okay you maybe ate like 30 children that we're aware of i did really enjoy that uh that animated flashback to him just being various monsters throughout history <laughs> essentially just being the wendigo but yeah, a lot of that stuff wasn't too clear. I, I, I did enjoy how cosmic the lair was. And uh, I appreciate the deadlights being used uh, when uh, Richie basically looks at them for a second and just completely collapses. <laughs> One, that is just a, an amazing physical performance by Hayden. Yes. <laughs> he just goes so slack. It feels like someone just, you know, snapped his uh, spinal column. It's also, it, it feels like it's something out of a European horror film, too. Yeah, it's very unusual. It's different from what we got the rest of the time. Uh, but again, it's kind of played as a laugh, too, which is weird. Uh, well, that's unfortunate about most of those kind of moments, is it ends up being played by played as a misplaced laugh. Yeah. And intentionally so, too. It's not like it's unintentionally funny. There's a oh, movie filled with stupidly placed intentional laughs. Yeah, I would say the worst one, though. In my mind, the very worst one like that is when uh, Eddie is killed. Like, the the lead-up to him just standing around going, hey, I got him. I think he's dead. He's dead. And the very obvious, like, his back is turned to the monster. Long time of him just repeating that he got the monster. Like, you know he's going to get hit. So it's it's played up like, you know, the standard kind of punchline in a horror comedy. You know what's weird is, of all the places uh, of that that bother me, I, that, not at all. I Mainly because I forgot Eddie dies. <laughs> like the movie kind of drag, like kind of pulled me in where I honestly forgot Eddie died, especially it's, because it's, after things didn't follow through with Mike, it just kind of fell out of my head. Yeah, for me, it's it's they're making it so obvious. It's been done in a million other horror movies where like the character goes, "I think I got him," and then you can see the monster moving in the background. I also loved how brutally uh, Eddie died. Like it was really like they really upped the gore, which I've heard complaints about, but I uh, I liked the the upping of the gore, because I think that fits with the the adults uh, section of it. Although I am sad. I saw a piece of, uh, I think it might have been concept art, maybe it was just fan art, of Pennywise a little bit more spidery, and he's drawing Eddie up essentially with the deadlights, and his face is splitting in half, and with two big jaws, like sideways wow. jaws, and all the losers are just kind of cowering on the other side of the cavern. And it's like, oh, that would have been a fucked up way for the character to go. Like Pennywise essentially hoovers him up like a, you know, an alien uh, beam and then just bites him in half. That would have been cool. It would have been neat. Although it cuts away from what I think they're trying to do of extending his death a little bit just to make it harder for Richie. Yeah. 
Yeah, you kind of it's think... that's kind of a like you win a visual, but you you lose some emotion. Yeah. So it might have been cheap to just kind of scare people and have that sudden big cosmic scare, but I don't I I, I don't know. <laughs> I would have liked to see it actually executed. But I'm also a little frustrated with the ending because while they improved on the spider design of the miniseries, it feels too much like, okay, we basically have taken Skarsgård's face and slapped it onto a CGI version of his body with spider legs, and he just crawls around the lair for a while fucking with them. I would have liked the design of it to go a little bit further into weird. Uh, thank God they did the spider while keeping Pennywise and Skarsgård's performance. Yeah. Um, it's It's frustrating, though, because... He's a shapeshifter who preys on fears. It feels like there's a million things you could really do during that final battle to pump it up. And they do get like a couple of individual moments where they're off on the side and they have like a vision. You know, there's like the uh, Pomeranian that turns into a devil dog, the upper half of Betty Ripsum coming out of the door, that kind of stuff, which we could have used more of, I think, for this finale. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of a it's kind of a win you lose sort of thing if if pennywise wasn't there for the finale you know once again book accurate um that would have been a huge loss yeah so you're kind of fucked either way like it's almost less impressive to just have the clown there but if you don't have the clown there ooh, what a mistake so <laughs> right you spend like six hours building up a fear of this clown and then by the time they get back at him he's just a cgi spider like eh. No, yeah, not saying all, anything. All you don't see his face. Um, I think it, I think a little bit more gnarliness with the design. There was, there's an aesthetic flaw somewhere between the first film and this film with the monster stuff. I found. I don't yeah. know if it's because the 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 CGI doesn't work as well as it did in the first film. If I don't know if it's because a lot of the effects can't necessarily be done practically uh, that they are doing here, like the the. You know, Pennywise being a giant spider kind of has to be CGI, and yeah. it's a little bit too smooth and clean, where it's like, I think back to him transforming, you know, slowly into the, and I mean, we did see CGI Pennywise with, like, spider legs in the first film, but mm -hmm. uh, it's mad remembering him, like, transforming kind of, like, slightly into the werewolf thing and stuff, and there's a visceralness to it. It feels real. Even the spider legs he had, like popping out of his arms in the first film, then the, yeah, the CGI wasn't still wasn't great. But maybe it's just the size changing thing. Uh, the CGI in general, there's an overuse of CGI. CGI in chapter yeah, two. Yeah, the 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 fortune cookie scene stands out as the worst to me. I'm very like bothered actual, by that. That ruined that scene. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's frustrating because the actual design of the Uki stuff coming out of the fortune cookies is very good, like oh, the, yeah, the cockroach good. baby and the uh, bat wing and the eyeball. That's oh, right. It's like Silent Hill shit. Yeah, it's just not rendered well enough or something. I, I'm no CGI expert, but it doesn't fool me. It doesn't feel right. It feels very... It's super fake. Super fake, yeah. It doesn't look real for a second. One thing I the will say in the movie's in, The head floating effects, so, are much better. Yeah. So at the very end of it, when uh, Skarsgård is kind of looking like a deflated version of himself... <laughs> Uh, that was actually done by him sticking his head through the side of the set, and then they had prosthetics around him to make that deflated look. That was a really good effect. Yeah. Well, I was just impressed because I assumed it was very good CGI, but it turns out, no, we actually oh, had no. his face there, and he was just kind of awkwardly positioned so he could just, you know, sit there and actually give a live performance that everyone else is acting against. That said, was it a little weird when Pennywise gives the line, you're all grown up? Or is that just me? For some reason, that was like, it just didn't feel right as a thing for him to say in the moment. I, th I think it was a little weird. Some of Pennywise, I mean, I guess Pennywise's dialogue in general has always been weird. Yeah. I don't know. That one seemed a little too meta to me. Like, you know, the, the filmmakers are saying like, oh, look, the, the losers are grown up. Get it? Because they're, they're actual adults. But they're also bit. letting go of their childhood trauma. Ah! It's a little <laughs> on the nose. Yeah, that one, that one kind of threw me off. So and they have been very tricks. conversational that entire third act, so... Yeah. So I think we've been dancing around the, the biggest problem I have with the film and really the thing that sinks it, if anything sinks it. And that's the whole second act of the movie and the way it's structured to be an episodic kind of almost video game like fetch quest for each character. No, oh, you have to go get some apples. You, you have to go to the arcade and pick up a coin. You must go to the creepy apartment. It feels like a really frustrating European horror film. The it's moment, not even necessarily like any of the events happening are bad or anything like that. Like I'm enjoying most of the Taken by themselves, they're all great yeah. scenes. 
but when yeah, you stack it, like five of them on top of each other, it's like, no, make it stop. I am now bored. Yeah, it's like there's so, it's there's no sinew between the bones. Like so, it's just they're clanking together. You know how it all is gonna work out. It's like, oh, okay, this is just a remix of each scene. What the fuck? I, and that really kills it because that's a big portion of the film where they have to have each character essentially go through the same ritual. That's the biggest like portion said, of the film, yeah. Yeah, I got up at a certain point. I was like, oh, fuck it. I'm going to go to the bathroom. I don't need to sit and watch all this. I'll figure it out. They're going to be alive when I get back. I was very I glad. Was right. when the se- yeah, I was very glad when the when the se- those sequence of events were over. And once again, not because I disliked anything that was happening, but it just kind of drags on you from a structural standpoint. It's not a length standpoint. Which I actually think is kind of interesting, just from like a, I don't know. It like makes the length seem worse because you notice what's happening and you're aware of the filmmaking that's happening. Okay, yes, the exactly. loser's gone to a place, they've had a flashback, Pennywise has appeared, and now they're going to have a freak out and snap out of the whole thing without a scratch. It's a rinse and repeat is- deal, and you just realize the time that is going by, it pulls you out of the movie, and the whole fiction falls flat during these scenes. And since they all play out one after another... There's a giant portion of the film where you're basically watching your clock, just like, okay, can we be done now? Can we get back to different things? That's you're why you're watching uh, the series of Island episodes. Yeah. And that's why I think, like we said before, if they could recut this into like the supercut where those scenes aren't necessarily stacked next to each other, this movie would go much faster. It'd be a lot smoother. Super. It's they one could... of the few. There are occasionally the movies that get less draggy the longer you make the movie. Like, that's just, it's just right. a weird fact. And this is definitely one of that. Like, if you throw in something like building the threat of Bowers or just any other, any any number of things. So the, those scenes are not stacked up against, against one another. So they're not boom, 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 boom. And there's a little bit more going on. The fact that right. Derry itself even feels empty while these scenes are going on <laughs> is a little weird. Like For sure. There's just something off about them where they, it's it feels like they're the bare minimum of what needs to be on screen for the story to work, and they're just one after another to get the plot going forward. Right. It makes the scenes feel like an obligation to the story rather than like something a person would actually want to watch. Definitely. And, uh, boy, it's, it's so frustrating because that destroys the movie in my mind. If you don't have that big middle section set up that way... This is a much more enjoyable film. Also, it, it robs the losers from spending time with each other. I remember in the theater when it said like, oh no, you all have to go alone to do this. Like I, I like threw up my hands in the theater. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think Richie also says the same thing. Like, isn't it the worst idea in the world for us to all split up guys? And then they all split up. Because it's one of those moments where it's like, God damn it, guys, really? They, they all have to split up. They can't like try and take this on together. Well, that's where I would have liked to have seen a little more exposition about that kind of stuff especially from mike or mm-hmm. you get more of a sense of like what's going on spiritually with the story yeah dive into the uh, mystic side you don't have to give us the cosmic so much but get into that side the spiritual yeah because uh, that's that's why that like them separating and all all those sequence of events are so important is the spiritual side and with that either on the cutting room floor or lost or not included or just not touched upon enough. It, it just makes it as just some stuff that happens, kind of. Especially yeah. as not everyone gets strong, cathartic moments. Like, not every <laughs> moment. True. Like, not like Bill gets a pretty good, strong moment. Uh, Bev definitely gets a good, strong moment. Richie, definitely. Um, you know, you don't get, you don't, understand the full extent of it till the very 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 end even though you 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 start getting the sense of it at that point you see it yeah i mean yeah you definitely understand it right there which is also very weird to me that a lot of people did not pick up on the fact that they decided to make richie gay in this version yeah i don't know how people missed that and were like shocked at the end i i think they didn't necessarily miss it but they were like in denial like they didn't want to say hey my favorite character is gay yeah that probably actually has more to do with it unfortunately or or maybe they are like insistent oh no it's just a platonic deal but it's it's so dumb it's like okay the character is clearly closeted like he, he, they keep talking about his secret that can't be revealed they have the scene in the arcade where he's like you know trying to hang on that other kid and just get him to spend a little more time with him until bauer shows up and ruins that whole deal it, it's they're they're going for a pretty clear thing here i don't know how people are like nope nope i don't see it 
Especially when you combine it with the opening. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> it's one of those like, come on. They didn't yeah. outright say it, but ah, it's it's all there. On top of that though, the thing that threw me off, I was I was actually kind of surprised at the end when he goes back to the bridge and he finishes carving uh, R and E. Because it almost feels like in my mind they're trying to set up a thing where it was Richie had a thing for Stan. Right. Stan, yeah. I got I got the, the same whole, sense, the especially bar since scene. the bar mitzvah scene, which was just a lead scene from the first film, I guess. So maybe that's why. Yeah. But the fact um, that like the... Richie is the one to get up and cheer for it, and Stanley yes. has that moment where he tells everyone off, like that seems like a great moment. And then you also would have like the the loathing part where Richie mentions like Stanley wasn't strong enough, and that's why he killed himself. Like that that kind of anger at the fact that the guy he loved wasn't around for this meeting. It feels like a weird thing where they're like, no, no, it was Eddie. It, it works, but. Like, it almost seems like the fiction doesn't quite line up with what they decided to tell us. Yeah, it it does feel like they could have gone either way with that. Yeah. Um, especially I guess even we could have had crushes other... on both. Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, and, of course, if you go back to the first film, it's, you know, him and Eddie are the ones who were always interacting in that way. So it's clearly always been built. But even when you have um, Richie kind of wanting to spend time with that other kid in the arcade, the kid they get looks a lot like Kid Stan. Mm-hmm. So once again, you're kind of like in your head, you're kind of putting that together where it's like almost that part's a mystery until Eddie dies. And you're like, oh, OK, so it's definitely Eddie. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's basically it. That's like the time we're like, oh, OK, they're supposed to be doing that together. It's weird. I feel like they could have combined those two characters somehow or in a, in a way to make it seem more direct that that was the one he really felt strongly for. I don't know. It's a little muddled. Still a better addition, though, because it actually gives Richie a lot of motivation. And on a rewatch, I'm sure it'll be way more interesting to watch his character and how he interacts. I'm actually excited. To, I haven't since watching Chapter 2. I haven't gone back and I haven't gone back and rewatched Chapter 1. But I'm actually kind of excited to just for the Richie stuff. I feel like it's and probably I, seated in there stronger than any of us have noticed previously. Oh, right. Yeah. And they don't start the movie off by telling you that. So it's, it's going to be interesting to watch how all that kind of plays out. Now that you understand what's really motivating the character. Yeah. Plus, I really enjoyed that they did the Nightmare on Elm Street 2 shirt, and they had that planned yes. since pre-production. <laughs> that was a nice touch. So that the was The concept awesome. art of him even wearing the shirt, like, oh, cool. <laughs> and what a deep cut that is. All right. Thank God for Twitter, because that probably would have flown over my head until, like, the next time I popped in Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Oh, yeah. That was awesome to see pointed out. And, I mean, like, what a, what a, like, a weird double feature that makes. <laughs> it's it's a little odd because apparently machete was approached and like hey do you want to do like a, a freddy krueger cameo here and he thought about it and said no that'd take people out of the movie so they they went with a much more subtle nightmare on elm street reference in the clothing but it honestly it would have worked with the fiction that's been set up in stephen king's book because in, oh, yeah. in like the old book you know the idea was these kids are haunted by famous monsters of the 50s you know they see the mummy or frankenstein or the wolfman all the universal monsters or hammer monsters. And in this version, I mean, the, the kids grew up in the 80s, so they could have just done 80s classic monsters. I mean, the rights would have been difficult to do like a Jason Voorhees or something, but they could have done Freddy for sure. Oh, yeah, Freddy for sure. I, Machete talked about that. So, like, it's in the mythology to do that. And it, we briefly talked about it, but I, I do agree probably ultimately with his choice to not do it. It would have been, it's a little bit different, I think, than. If you have a period piece taking place in the 50s, especially when the book came out, where that is mm -hmm. already a period piece, to such a degree where having stuff like werewolves and, and Frankenstein mummies and stuff are, are more nebulous than anything else. Um, it's well, not like enough people a adapted huge them direct... where they kind of became a, more of a, a genre into themselves instead of like a very specific, oh no, only one company has done that specific monster. Yeah, when you have Freddy show up, that's like a, a pop culture joke that suddenly happens. And I could see Which, that being like a step too far. Well, that was my problem with the thing homage because they, they had Stanley's head grow out the feelers and they shot it the same way as the thing. And they even have Richie say like, oh, you've got to be fucking me. Like they, they I was just them very, having fun though. Right. But because they, they were so on the nose with that one, that took me out. But if they had done that like three more times, I think it would have been like, oh no, that's just the style of the movie and it would become a fun thing. It's frustrating because I love that scene. I think that's actually the most exciting, scary scene in the movie. It's definitely got like the most impressive visuals with the oh, yeah. big old spidery cockroach legs coming out of Stanley's eyes. But at the same time, I really left the movie for a couple minutes mentally because the whole time I'm thinking like, wow, that was just the thing. 
I think at that point I was just in with the adventure tone of it. So that was something where it's like, it's referencing the thing and I know it's referencing the thing, but I'm really going along with it because it's, it's enjoying how it's referencing the thing without it just being the thing. Um, Versus, I think, just having, like, Jason show up or something, which would have been like, look, it's Jason, which is a little bit yeah. different. Like, a reference and then the actual character. And I have a lot of problems with, like, how fun the tone of the movie gets, but <laughs> uh, that's, like, my I think main complaint. But... Flipped it a little bit more, so it wasn't so obviously the thing I could have rolled with it. Like, a kind of winking nudge-nudge, like, okay, you know it's the thing. But in this one, it's like when they're even doing lines and camera shots that match the movie, it's like, okay, they really want you to know it's a thing. They don't want you to miss that this is a this is essentially a cameo. Yeah. Is this Machete having fun? So I don't, I don't know how to feel about that one. I'm very mixed. That's how I feel about most scenes from this movie. Taken alone, they're pretty good. But then when you try and staple them into the movie as an entire narrative, it doesn't work. You've made a Frankenstein. Uh, this is definitely a four-hour movie cut down to two and a half hours. Yeah. Which, again, one of the reasons I really hope they stick with the plan of letting Machete film a couple extra scenes and popping this out as like a six-hour Netflix movie. Yeah, same. Miniseries. I would, I'd be all about that. I honestly think this would work better. And I'd be curious to see if he takes it further and like completely changes the structure of the two into one solid story where you're actually flashing back and whatnot. I very thought he'd that. done an interview and mentioned that he wanted to restructure the film so it fit more like the uh, the book's narrative. I'd be very so it curious. It would be like he stapled a few things on. Like he would actually basically remix the movie so it'd be as close as you could get it to the book without you know being <laughs> 10 hours long. Yeah. I, I would like to actually see that. Oh, yeah. I think it could honestly really work. I mean, it might actually rob some of the power of the It Chapter 1 stuff, but if it's mixed with It Chapter Definitely. 2 the quality overall as the two pieces would rise. Because right oh, now, I think it, Chapter 1 is amazing. It, Chapter 2 is fine. And you blend them together, you end up with a movie that's like a B plus. Yeah. That's why I think, I hope we get the best of both worlds. We get like a director's cut of Chapter 1. We get a director's cut of Chapter 2. And then we get like the Ultimates miniseries cut. <laughs> Just keep pumping cut. them out. And honestly, it's, it's WB. They love doing yeah. shit like that. So let them, let them go ahead and milk it. I'm honestly 100% fine with them doing that. Same. I mean, there, there's worse out there. It's kind of like I just spent a bunch of money to get Suspiria, the original one, on, on Blu-ray in a steelbook. And then like three months later, they're like, hey, by the way, we're pushing that out in a 4K edition, suckers. But I just, I just spent like 40 bucks on the old one. You didn't even like wait a year. Come on. All the colors of the dark. Uh, see, I, I fuck it. I don't care. Just the whole bloody affair. Just put out a super cut of it. Put out a <laughs> Netflix version that's like 18 hours. Put out director's cuts. Fuck it. You know, it's like Star Wars, whatever. I'll just buy your new edition every time it comes out. For whores is what we're saying. Very true. And on That's that how note. we're going to end every episode of the show from now on. <laughs> we're whores. whores. Please send us things. We'll whore for products or sponsorship. Always. Always. Very much so. Colgate. Do you think, do you think Shutter has any horror money for us? I, I feel thought like they're a small that. thing, but I would I would spend all day telling people about what a great service Shutter is. Shutter is so good. <laughs> I wish we're being paid to say this. You know what? Shutter's so good. I'm okay with not being paid unless they want to pay us. I would take a free subscription or a pin. Actually, a pin would be pretty dope. Shutter. I'd like a pin. Send me a pin. Pins would be cool. Pins would be great. Uh, I that said, for now. like five bucks a month, this is the best streaming service out there. Like they they produce so much content, and it's not like Netflix where you're looking through half and like, oh, garbage, garbage, canceled immediately, garbage, garbage. I really enjoy all the things they made. It's just such a fantastic thing that's custom made for my interests. Get Shutter is what we're saying. <laughs> if Box Office Pulp recommends Shutter, Box Office Pulp kind of goes, you know, it too's all right too. You know what else is just all right? Box Office Pulp. Box office pulp. You know, lukewarm. If you would like to listen to more of our lukewarm podcasts, you can find <laughs> us under box. Yes, we're going with that, Mike. Uh, you can find more box office pulp under the title box office pulp. Just type that into iTunes. You can go to Twitter, Facebook, Stitcher, box office pulp. I'm pretty sure if I say that like eight times, people will remember it, right, Mike? I think that's how it works, yeah. Box office pulp. That's how they sold Night of the Living Dead. Remember those trailers? Did you ever go back and watch the old like radio ads for uh, Night of the Living Dead? Oh, I love them, yeah. 
Night, Night of the Living Dead. And then they just say it 18 times in a row, so you remember, oh, fuck, yeah, that's the zombie one. Filmed in Brazil, where life is cheap. <laughs> you don't know what I'm referencing there, but... No idea, but it sounds fantastic. It's an old trailer. It's an old trailer. Was it right. Brazil well, or South America? closed the Whatever. show, and then we got distracted by old radio yes. things. Goodbye, everybody. Box office pulls out. And like that, he's gone. And then we have a flashback to us 30 minutes ago, not remembering that flashback. So you didn't know the whole story. You, you have to go to an arcade. Oh, and then we have to perform the ritual of Chud. Chud. It's Chud. I don't care what anybody says. I, I know. I heard that in the theater. I'm like, mm, I disagree. It's Chud. <laughs> it's like when you hear people say Ra's al Ghul in a different way than how you say it. It's like, no, stop. Fuck Ra's al Ghul. This is Box Office Pulp Guy, and this has been a Pulp Podcast production. Now please, 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 put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight. And now, on with the show.